Uh, Stuart's a very well-known and very dedicated refugee lawyer in town, and you've been you've been uh, you've had a few clients, quite a few clients, who are from West Africa, Stuart. Uh, from all over Africa, actually. But yes, I represented several people from West Africa. Yeah, now these are young men who are homosexual. And I'd like us all to listen to a piece that I did last year when I was in Winnipeg with a social worker who works with this clientele. So uh, why would people from Ghana, which is not in a war zone, risk their lives to come to Canada? Few reasons are there. But most of these gentlemen coming are coming because of their sexual orientation. Ghana does not allow people with same-sex marriage, and as you've heard on the news many times, they are not allowed. And sometimes the government will say, oh, yes, we welcome everyone. But in the smaller communities, they don't get any assistance people who do not tolerate people with different uh, orientation will attack them. And if you are being attacked, uh, it takes a long time before the police shows up. Or if you are not lucky, the police will not show up. So by the time you say anything or try to get yourself off, you may be killed. So that's why these boys or some of them left Ghana and with the hope of going to the states where they will be welcome and the states being a country that, I mean, accepts people with different sexual orientation, their hope was to stay there. But things didn't turn out that way. So this must sound a familiar story to you, Stuart. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, definitely. I represent a lot of people from Ghana. Uh, and I represented a lot of people from West Africa. Uh, but the problem is, is, in general, there's a real hardening of attitudes towards gays and bisexuals in black Africa, which is sort of mixed up with black nationalism and uh, thinking that uh, being gay is like a white man's disease. And things have got really bad, uh, particularly in Ghana, but also in other countries in West Africa. Also in other other places. Can you tell us about a couple of cases specifically? Well, on Ghana, since we started with Ghana, yes. I'll, I'll tell you a story of a guy that was supposed to be deported uh, two years ago. And he... Well, unfortunately, what happens in a place like Ghana is if you, you have any uh, same-sex uh, relationships... If it happens to you once or twice, you're labeled as gay and uh, an anti-gay mob could kill you or vigilantes. And, and so it's really, really dangerous. And so I've met guys who are really yes. strongly oriented towards women, but they had a, some sort of a, an adventure uh, with uh, gay sex, and that's enough to get them killed. And the person I'm thinking of right now, he was with, uh, he had this kind of adventure, had a lover in Ghana, and he... Uh, was threatened, and his lover was eventually killed, and he uh, fled to Canada, and here he participated in a group called Azir, who helped a lot of gay and immigrant uh, and refugees who are here, and a very, very good group. And in that group, he uh, they had a party one time and then went out dancing and drinking afterwards, 
and he had an affair with a woman who was a lesbian from Ghana. But actually, these people are bisexual. There's no hard are, and yes, fast yes. rules on these things. And they became a couple, and she became pregnant, and they moved in together a couple of months later. And I met him in June 2015, or 16, anyway, two years ago, 16, and uh, they were on the point of deporting him. And uh, uh, she had become permanent resident because her case as a refugee was accepted. And at the, uh, he talked to me about how to stop it, and I, he got married on July 9, 2016. We made a request to, uh, for a sponsorship by his wife on July 13th. On July 19th, we made a request to stay the deportation because of our request and also because of the danger for him in Ghana, which they didn't answer for about a week. And then July 26th, they said no. And I filed at the federal court against that. And I made a motion for stay of deportation at federal court. And I had a great case because I had a really strong letter from the mother of his lover who had been killed, and also from a politician in Ghana who had in bold in his letter, don't tell anybody I wrote this because my career will be over if they ever know that I've written this. But really, really good letter on the danger. And so I had number one case. And at the end of the day of uh, July uh, 28th, the federal court refused to hear me. I didn't even get a hearing. And the guy was deported on August 1st to Ghana, and he arrived there on August 3rd. And when he arrived at the airport, there were people waiting there to kill him. And uh, when he came out of the airplane, uh, and he was delayed some by immigration, so he phoned his friend after about half an hour or so. And as he was talking with his friend, and he could see him across the parking lot, he was attacked by four or five people who, who destroyed all the windows in the car, and uh, put him in the hospital. And he was just very lucky it was at the airport because the police came along and he's still alive today. But this is the type of thing that happens. What a tragic case. Well, he actually came back and he's still here and he's got a beautiful baby girl who was born in January of last year. And okay. so, and he will stay here. And we made a complaint to the Human Rights Committee of the United Nations and we stopped a deportation in September 2016 two months afterwards, uh, because he came back, but he didn't have the right to come back. And so they told him, you've come back without permission. And they gave him access to something called a pre-removal risk assessment, uh, which we, I wasn't sure he really had access to. And we were going to file all this, and we're happy because we thought we'd saved his life. And he was called in again on September 14th, 2016, and they were going to deport him three days later. Now, I managed to stop that. But the real message that I get is that CBSA won't correct mistakes. They don't care. Wow. And there's another case now that you've uh, just sent to Ralph Goodale, huh? Yep. Tell this, us about that one. This is a, a case uh, where I'm quite upset about what's going on at the Immigration Refugee Board. Yes. Uh, at the Refugee Protection Division. The... Uh, Public Safety Ministry is intervening in a number of cases of young gays. What I've seen so far is francophones from West Africa, yeah, though I've understood lately that it's broader than that. And a, a client of, of mine from Guinea, he became my client in October of last year, who uh, part of his story is being gay and bisexual, but he's also married with three children. 
which yes. often happens yes, in black Africa, lots of social pressure because to get this married. is a yes. way to protect yourself if you're gay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, they compared his story with three other stories from gays from West Africa, and uh, without him getting to say a word about why he was in danger, they questioned him about the similarities between the same stories, between the stories, and it was same lawyer, same interpreter, and so there would be some similarities in the way it was written, but I have the stories here. They're all actually quite different, and he was refused only on that basis. And I got the case in late October, and I looked at all this and said, this is crazy. And I made a motion for a stay of deportation at federal court to try to stop the deportation. And I ended up being in a position of pleading the case in front of the same judge who had refused to hear me in the Ghanaian case in July 2016. So I asked for her recusal. I asked the judge to withdraw from the case. And I insisted on the level of danger for my client because the, there's really strong evidence of the danger for him. If he had gone back, I think he would be dead by now. And uh, she refused to accuse herself. She refused to stay of deportation. And the person's still here because the case was in the press on November 10th, 2017, and the minister intervened before he was deported, the Minister of Citizenship and Immigration. And the case is like dynamite. But because of this, I found out about this plan on the part of CBSA to intervene in a number of gay African cases and to pretend that the, the stories are too similar one to the other. And they're refusing a lot of people. And the people I have met so far are either gay or bisexual. They've got it wrong. And I find it scandalous they would set up this plan to refuse a whole bunch of people whose lives are clearly at risk. Well, yes. I mean, there's, there's the whole issue of people do not leave home for no reason. They have a reason to leave home. And in the case of homosexuals in West Africa, as you say, their lives are very clearly in danger. What, what role do you think racism plays in, in this? Stuart, well, I think it has a fairly clear role. If you see the people who are uh, either being refused as refugees or being deported, I go to the detention center sometimes, yes. uh, it's like 80 or 90 percent black. 80 or 90 percent uh, black. I, I said to somebody who was detained there a few days ago, I said, like, as far as I can tell, it's like over two-thirds black, and he said, no, it's like 90 percent. And I don't know that he's right. But the perception of the people there is that a lot of people are there because they're black. I think it's a mixture of homophobia and racism and also just uh, immigration police state that we've got to keep these people out. And it's quite, come on, uh, how should I say it? It's quite uh, paradoxical in that Canada has saved some gays from the Middle East and some places in black Africa and Canada, if you have papers, is not that bad for gays. And they, there was a, uh, they set up special directives on looking at gay refugee claims about February of, this, of last year, which looked quite good on paper. But then at the same time, I find this scheme where the Canada Border Services Agency is 
intervening to try to destroy cases and destroy people's lives. And the contradictions are really, really strong. Yeah, and of course, we always assume that Canada Border Service Agency are made up of, you know, sensible, informed, professional people. Well, I I don't assume that. You don't assume? No, but I mean, you know, the, the public in general, we think that they know what they're doing and they clearly don't. Uh, can you account for these refusals in any other way apart from racism, pure racism? Well, I mean, they could believe that there are a lot of people making false gay claims, and it is possible to make false claims. But I don't want them to refuse everybody on the basis of the fact that there could be liars. These people are really, really great risk of their lives. Exactly. And each of the people that I've met... They were just desperate. The, the person I'm talking about from Guinea, yes, completely desperate. And like I have newspaper articles from Guinea from a couple of months ago where his own political party in Guinea has expelled him. And they don't want to know anything about him because he's homosexual. And there's an article about it in the newspaper. Like I know that this is the real thing. You know? And so to have people spending a lot of money and time to try to keep these young gays out, uh, I think it's both homophobic and racist, and I also don't think public money should be spent in such a way that uh, I think we should be trying to respect our charter and uh, fundamental human rights, and uh, it's uh, quite terrible what has happened with this person. Well, he's here now. He's still alive, you know, but... uh, uh, I have to keep him here. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's hope that you can succeed, Stuart. The other thing that I find paradoxical, too, what I sent you earlier today to look at was about a complaint I made to Minister Goodale saying we need an investigation into this problem of homophobia and discrimination. And I sent him several of the, the stories, and I said, they're not the same. These people have got it wrong. You've got to look at this. Now, I would say that I've sent a good 10 or a dozen of these letters to different ministers over the last two to three years. Usually, they don't even respond. I have never got an answer to this letter, which I sent in March. And I'm a fairly serious person. When I make this kind of complaint, I'm not, I don't do it to, to waste time. It's because I believe that there's, they're putting people's lives at risk and that there's something that really needs investigation. But there's a real climate of impunity at the Canada Border Services Agency, and they don't believe they have to respect uh, the charter or international law or any of these niceties like rule of law, which is what Canada is supposed to be about. Is there anything that we, the listeners, the public, can do to help you in your work? Because you are very well known, uh, Stuart Istfani. as a very serious um, refugee lawyer. I mean, you're highly respected. I mean, I I would like it if people could write letters to Ralph Goodale and say that that, that, uh, uh, you heard me on the radio talking about this scheme of uh, homophobia and racism and discrimination against these young gay blacks from West Africa and ask him what he's going to do about it. Because he's the person who's ultimately responsible. And, and like when we made a request to stop the deportation last uh, October and it was refused, I have a copy of the refusal with me and it's just a bad joke. We, we gave them all sorts of evidence about the level of danger for the person and it just gets rejected in a completely unserious fashion. Can you read a little, a little bit 
for us? I, I can't. It's not so much you can tell it by my reading it to you. It's more knowing the evidence that was submitted. That was yes. It's a bad joke. But the problem is, when you ask for an administrative stay of deportation in Canada, it's submitted to the same people who want to deport you at the Canada Border Services Agencies, and just about all of these decisions on whether to stop a deportation or not are bad jokes. We're not respecting our charter. We're not respecting our values. Something's gone wrong, and they're not trying to make sure that they, they don't send someone back to torture and death. Basically, the top priority of those people is deportation, and all the rest doesn't count. Well, this is a very important issue to us because these people, first of all, we as taxpayers are paying their salaries, and we expect them to be ethical, and it sounds as though they're really not. They're not ethical, but they also have a whole system behind them which wants them to prioritize deportation over human rights and over respect for rule of law. So we need some way to be able to get the political will to change that. Yes. I'm prepared to deport people who don't belong in this country. I'm prepared to deport people who have been involved in serious criminality. But another issue, which could be a whole conversation itself, is all the young blacks that they're deporting with small criminal records to countries that they don't even know. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is like a terrible tragedy, and it's happening every day in this country. Uh, so we really have to question the role of racism and exclusion in, in the execution of these deportations. Yes, uh, yes, question is unrejected. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming to talk to us today, Stuart Istvanfi. And we wish you all the best with your work. Okay, thank you for the invitation, and I really appreciate being here. Thank you.